0: my one, one. Yes, he's my father. Yes, he's my son. I can talk to him because he understands everything I go through and everything I am. He's my support system. I can't live without him. The best thing since sliced bread is his kiss, his hugs, his lips, his touch. And I just want the whole world to know about my bad <laughs> brother. I and I'll never try to hurt you I want you to know that I'm here for you forever true Cause you're my brother, strong brother Welcome and to Kitchen Counter Chat, where we laugh, we eat, and we live well. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. I am your host, Chef Tiffany Janelle, also known as Chef to the Stars, Thank you guys for always tuning in. This is season two. And in this season, I am really pumped. I'm really empowered by the conversations I'm gonna be having this month with black men. This series is very special to me. It's very important to me. I have so many amazing black men in my life um, that are so diligent and so dutiful around their emotional management. Um, They are leaders in the community. They are men that want better for us as a totality, but I wanted to take some time out to focus on them. I wanted to allow them a space to vent, to communicate their emotions. I think a lot of us, you know, men, women, children, cats, and dogs, the last four years specifically have really been holding in a lot. I think we have been entertaining so much vitriol and so much hatred Um, so many non-free spaces that I wanted to kind of create this haven and get a little serious. You know, I know the show is normally a little lighthearted. And and I'm all for that. I'm all for the jokes and the fun. And we will have fun, but I want to really allow them the space to communicate what they're thinking. Um, I consider men the leaders of all of our communities, whether that's at, you know, um, at home, whether it's in our church. Um, We've historically been led by men. And I know we've broken some amazing barriers um, recently with women and some incredible spaces. And I'm so happy we'll be getting into that. this season. As well, but I do want to not forget and erase men and how they are allowing themselves to be right now, their humanity, and I think that. So many times men have this definition by the world standards of what masculinity means. The definition of it is, you know, hard and strong and big and fast and just these very exterior acknowledgments. And we don't get into the tender pieces of who they are. We don't tap into their femininity that's inside of them. And I know a lot of men don't want to necessarily hear that they embody femininity, but they do. It's the nurturing side of who they are. It's when the little girls hurt themselves and they come and run crying to daddy and, you know, daddy gets down on his knee and gets eye level and puts a bandaid on. Those types of moments are far, you know, wide. They don't just extend to, you know, sympathy and empathy in those moments. Men emote, they just emote differently. And I really want to allow that space for them, So I'm going to be talking to an array of men for the next four shows, actually. So uh, if you don't feel like this is a space where you want to hear about that, then I get it. You know, come back and chat with me uh, a little later. But I'm really going to be having some amazing guests this season. And I'm elated to offer a back and forth banter to listen, to give them a place. And as many of us have been on the Internet, seeing what's been going on and the times are changing I feel that this is the time for that, and I want to give them space. I want to hold space for them in this season, so let's get into it. I I am super excited, and please uh, share this with all the men in your life. I think that they will come away with so many tips, so many ways to think of things from different angles. I have professional men. I have men that are leading in the community. I have men that are leading in the entertainment industry, uh, men that are talented, that are gifted across the board. So let's go, y'all. Good evening. Welcome back to Kitchen Counter Chat, where we laugh, we eat, and we live. So, honey, we have survived, okay, another election, guys, a presidential election. Welcome back. Thank you guys for rocking with season two, honey. We have been kind of on a slow climb and a slow start this season because this election has just taken up so much energy and so much time, but I am going to be launching a new series on the show where I am having conversations with amazing, intelligent Beautiful black men. We are going to be discussing mental health, the state of mental health and illness, um, in our country. Um, but more in, more importantly than our country, within our community, right? So today, I am elated to have my colleague, my friend, my my I don't know, my confidant, honey. We we have great conversations almost every day. So I figured I'd bring him onto the show. I am elated to present Mr. Terrence Omar. Is the founder and the creative director and president of not one, honey, but two brands? Okay, the Uppity brand, which is an apparel line, which is conscious apparel. I will let him explain that a little more significantly because I think it is an impeccable way to speak your mind. Is a black person, and he is also the founder and creative director and president of Trademark Collective, which is a collective of amazing media. Um, pieces. He does website design. He does beautiful logo work. Not those $99 logos. So if you all want to get into his business and his services, please go onto his websites when we wrap up this afternoon. Uh welcome to the show, Terrence. Thank you for coming.
1: Hello, hello, hello. How are okay, you? I'm
0: here. Okay, by the grace of God. <laughs> I'm here. How are you? How are you feeling? What are your current state of of just your emotions this has been a week ever two weeks i mean we i feel like we've been you know pining over this election so how are you feeling what is your current what's your current status
1: so, uh, um i feel this is probably the most relaxed i felt in the I can't say this is the best i felt in 2020. Um, this has been a rough year um, for everybody. Um, so I can honestly say probably since midday on Saturday when we just kind of found out, you know, the election results, I never thought that I would be so tied to, you know, American politics and that type of thing. But as I've said, this is this wasn't just about politics. This was about our lives. Mm,
0: that's good, yeah.
1: Um, this this was this was truly, you know, it was truly. I know voter die was, you know, the popular campaign back in two thousand eight, but like literally, I believe what we went through in the past four years was enough to really. It took us to a very dark place. Um, it took us to a dark place. And for those of us that, you know, um, have mental illness issues, it took us to a darker place. Mm. Um, because for you to be, for you to have mental illness and for you to be, be working through your mental illness, um, whether that be therapy, whether that be, you know, medication, whatever you do, um, you get in these modes of you're always trying to seem normal. Um, and you're trying to live as normal of a life as possible by not having um, any, tr- I identify mine with triggers. So I've just been triggered the past four years. It's like every one thing after another triggered me. So this election was well needed. And the way that I know this, and you know this because you say we talk all the time, but the way that I knew it was something different was... Mm, I've gotten the best sleep the past two nights mm. than I've gotten in four years.
0: Mm-hmm. No, and I, I feel that, friend. Thank you for, first of all, being so serious. And and I say that because I know how lighthearted you and I can be in our conversations. But I thank you for being uh, serious about the conversation because, you know, Black men don't, do not speak that freely in general, in my opinion, about mental wellness and mental illness. And those are two different things. Uh, we usually get to mental wellness by addressing our mental illness. And I always, you know, say this, but I too, I mean, when I say Saturday, the seventh, honey, I went to bed just free as a bird. It was the first night I didn't need melatonin and red wine. Okay. At the same time to go to sleep. And, you know, I, as a mother, um, as a full-time mother, it, it has perplexed me on all levels that people would even consider, you know, voting for this person, another four years i mean it was the most emotionally draining night i remember in 2016 when he was elected i was like oh god like somehow somewhere this is going to reverse itself like surely you know the first 100 days will impeach him this is just a, it's like a bad dream yes you know like this is a mistake like the american people have gotten this wrong but as i as i sit in myself now i say you know what as dark and as nasty and as disgusting and as repelled as I was from the American dream at that point, I also say with delight that we needed that window. And I hate to say that, but America was complicit in its behavior. And it was until we had someone that was the underbelly of the, his bullshit. Because I don't even know another you know way to to play it, but the underbelly of our American racism. Has shown its face. And not only the racism, but bigotry toward other groups, um, you know, not necessarily by race. You know, he is disgusting toward women. He is disgusting toward LGBTQ members. He is disgusting toward, you know, poor people, people of handicapped. and disabled. I mean, this man has literally alienated everybody. He is disgusting
1: people. towards his wife.
0: Well, let's discuss that. You know, Melania girl, I hope you are on your way. Okay, down to the what's the girl that gets everybody a divorce? I can't think of her name. it's a white lady that I can't think of her name. Anyway, honey, the whoever OJ never used or whatever. Get you somebody to okay to get you a divorce, a good one. Make sure that you and Baron get your coins, get you a couple of hotels, girl, and get out, honey. Get out now before they come and get everybody and put y'all all up in the in the big pen, as they say. So I'm grateful. I, I am hopeful. Uh, most importantly, we can full heartedly support and and enjoy this moment um, about Black women. I mean, come on, Kamala Harris, girl, you better go in here and you better soak it all up. Enjoy this time. Don't just be the pillar for Mm -hmm. Black women. Like, really sit in that thing and really enjoy on a level that I can't even compute for you, because I don't know what that feels like, but I'm I'm hopeful for you. Go ahead. And, you
1: know, um, with Kamala Harris, I've Always liked Kamala. Um, I've had my issues, um, and what I realized my issues were more so personal. And what I've discovered, um, I think we all discover this at some point um, with growth, is when you have a really, you know, when you're when people are so vocal about other people, it's normally one of two things. It's normally something that they're battling with internally. Or it's something that they absolutely love. And for so many years, um, as a part of my own personal story, one of the biggest, um, not necessarily regrets, um, I'm not a jealous person, but I did not have a traditional high school experience. And um, I feel like I was robbed of that. And um, some of it was my fault, but more so of it was not. Um, and that's just a whole nother story, but what I realized is people can use propaganda. And I mean, with me having a background in journalism, I should have known that people can use propaganda. And we so easily, even as Black men, um, sometimes so easily use propaganda that's given to us to turn against Black women. Yes,
0: yes.
1: And it's it's been the norm. Um, We've seen it. And I'm going to go a step farther to say as a member of the um, GLBTQ community, people often believe that gay Black men or gay and bisexual Black men, that we have this, um, a really great relationship with all Black women. And that's not always the case. Um, black gay men and Gay and bi, because I don't want to leave out my bi brothers. Um, we have the same issues that Black men in general have. And um, there are a lot of issues, you know, a lot of trauma from our childhoods, a lot of trauma from just trying to be a Black gay man because we're not seen as men. We're not seen as equal.
0: Mm-hmm. So
1: what I've been trying to do and what I've been trying to get better with over the past two or three years um I have a mentor now who she just kind of we cross paths and she came into my life. And one of the things that I value the most about her is she's not quite as old as my mother, but she's not as young as my sister. But she's the one that will tell me, hey, um, no, that's wrong. When it's something that pertains to black women And so therefore, by being around her for the past three or four years, I've learned to just ask more questions, not make assumptions. I don't treat black women any way now than I wanted people to treat me. Um, I don't use terms like angry black women or I don't call them females and broads and things like that, because there are a lot of things that me being a man, even gay or bi, it gives me privilege because of patriarchy. Well, and so um, I think we have right to the patriarchy. Yeah, we have to this. start dismantling that because at the end of the day I'm still going to look and say I'm still a man. And you know, it, it's no different from it's a little bit different but it's in the same it doesn't quite mirror racism but it's very much in line with the analogy of racism cuz a lot of racism comes from patriarchy, white male patriarchy as well.
0: Oh, no, I 1000% so, uh, agree with that patriarchy is such a huge conversation that we only align with white men, but it continue but it, it can align with anybody of male privilege because males in this country come first gay straight, tall, black, white, fat, dark, whatever you are like it is man first in this country anyway, as we see.
1: So it so it was because of having this mentor who's been in my life and um, she'll just tell me things like uh And we have to have that accountability piece as well. Mm. And it doesn't have to, I'm, I'm one of those people I've always said, my mother, I've never wanted to be friends with my mother. Um, I don't, I never wanted the, the lines to be blurred of friend versus mama. Um, I'm just very like that. Like I have very strong boundaries where my friends go in this category, Family goes in this category and I try not to mix those and blur those lines. So I have to have older black women. Generally they're older and I just have to have a village of black women around me. And I kind of, I've noticed that, you know, over the past, I would say for sure the past two years, but particularly like the past 12 to 18 months, like uh, one of my best friends was in town and she came over my house with her sister and, you know, you know they they're both raising children um one of them has sons one of them has a daughter and you know we were having a conversation about you know genders because they're sisters but they have they have that one has a son and one has a daughter and they're the same age and they're double first cousins so it's a very unique dynamic they had they basically had babies by brothers at the same time
0: mm-hmm. so
1: mm-hmm. They're very close, but they're starting to have those conversations now whereas, you know, how do we make sure that we raise them equally? You know, how do we make sure that we show her that she can be anything that he can be? And how do, you know, they're best friends, so how do we make sure that they always support each other being a Black girl and a Black boy? So it's just those types of conversations, I think, that we just really start having to have. But as an adult, I have to have conversations with my women friends and Black women about their experiences of growing up, particularly those of them that grew up in the South and how they were just treated differently. Uh, Girls are supposed to do this. You can't wear this. You can't do this. And even, you know, there are some feminine young black gay men that get that same type of treatment because they're a little more free at a younger age and they experience some of the same things, but even from what I've seen it's still nothing compared to what little girls go
0: through. Oh, I would agree with that as a mother of a daughter. I, you know, <clears throat> she's an only child. She has, you know, cousins that are a little bit older than her, but you know, I've, I've really let her be free in the same space. I mean, yes, to some things like, you know, she wears a dress to church, you know, but it's not, oh, you're wearing a dress because you're a girl and you have to wear a dress. She likes dresses. So sure, you know, she came mm-hmm. to me and said, mommy, I want to put on jeans. I'm not going to be like, well hell no you can't put no jeans on. i you know my mom wasn't like that with us we grew up actually in a very free form church regarding you know clothing and things of that nature the black church has definitely done a number on all levels of our traumatic experiences um as a community but i want to go back to what you said about just black women and i mean you and i we can have this conversation now someone who shall remain nameless on this podcast um referred to me as Manny and you know that I address that <laughs> on, on Facebook because y'all know that uh, to, if anybody drives me on Facebook honey it, it is my free space I don't care I've actually recently become, you know but that was go ahead
1: that was a segue to our friendship It was. that was one of the founders of was. our
0: friendship yes honey so someone referred to me that we were going to be posting something and they were alluding to the word mammy as a, as a like a term of endearment or like this like thing that all black women are called mammy or, you know, your mammy and thanks to your mammy and this stuff. And I was highly offended. And, you know, I communicated my offense and, you know, a number of my friends, of course, are like, you know, shocked, you know, of course, that this person would refer to me this way on a number of levels. Number one. Age, You know, um, I'm 37. Okay. And although I'm an old soul, um, I know women who are mammies. I know women. uh, My best friend's grandmother was a wet nurse. She was uh, what we would consider now a nanny to um, children in the family. She ate last. She fed children with her breast. She, you know, took care of the children while the wife did whatever she did. And there is a respect and a reverence that I have for what she did. Um, but I also know that that is a term, you know, usually referencing a woman in a particular position, like you're going to do those things so you can be the house nigger or whatever these things were that, you know, we just have so many layers of trauma. But y'all, when I say I was offended, I was offended on level that I, again, it made me go and post a Facebook post. And so Terrence and I have <laughs> delved into this conversation several times around you know these terms that we have come to acknowledge. Like it's like you know to me, it's like calling someone "knuckle tom," right? There are just a certain. There's a corruption within language. Um, nigger obviously is the first offense here, you know, and then it spawns on from that. And I'm sure there are words that we don't even know. You know what I'm trying to say here. There are words um, that just didn't survive.
1: There was a conversation. Um, <clears throat> I'll never forget we were um, Jay and I were on the phone one day and he had overheard the, the neighbor say there was an issue going on at the swimming pool where we lived, and uh, basically there were a lot of black people around the pool Um, this neighbor who Jay had befriended and he's not that type of person. He doesn't have that type of personality and he befriended her. So he thought that they were cool. So he overheard her standing outside because he, he said, now he was like, Terrence, they were keeping up a bunch of noise. It was just out of hand. It was just very, you know, horrible. But the lady was on the phone and whoever she was on the phone with, you know, they kind of said, you know, well, why don't you go over there and just say something to them or whatever. And the lady, "Uh uh-uh. It's too many darkies over there. Ah,
0: no. And
1: so, <clears throat> this is a conversation that you and I have had. And I, I know you don't mind me sharing this. But my mentor, the one that I referenced earlier, she is from Mississippi.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: she is through and through Mississippi. But one thing that I love and appreciate about her, she's a natural storyteller. And, you know... She tells these stories, but at the same time, she feels the same way about Mississippi as, like, she's going to defend Mississippi because she is Black excellence
0: Mm -hmm. of
1: Mississippi. So she shows you, you know, she tells a story about everything that her parents went through and, you know, their stories. So you have to hear stories like that. But at the same time... um, it's it's just complex. It it's it just gets really, really, really deep.
0: Well in the deep um, south I we don't, we can't ignore the fact that we just have like I was saying I'ma keep saying it because it's true. Layers are a part of our development, period. We have so much deeper rooted yeah. stuff. Continue, I'm I'm listening.
1: And with with the situation with uh Jay and the lady, so darkies was something I had never heard. Oh,
0: I have, yeah.
1: And What I've realized is um, regionally things are different. Um, I have another close friend that's from Mississippi as well. Excuse me. I have, you know, been with someone for five years that's from from Florida by way of Alabama. Um, Grandparents were, you know, walked across the bridge Bloody Sunday, you know, members of Dexter Street. Dexter Avenue Baptist Church in uh, Montgomery. So they see it different. They feel racism different because I can honestly say while I understand racism, I was masked from a lot of it. But then a lot of things that I grew up thinking were normal now as a racialized black man and knowing what I know now, a lot of that was just survival. It was things that we were taught simply to survive. simply you know, men and women taught me those things so I would make it home safe. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm only 35 years old. So for me to have that thought, you know, it's just very different. But like you said, there are so many terms that we just don't know. Like darkies, I know I would be offended by it, but I didn't realize I had never heard it. Mm-hmm. And when Jay told me, Jay was like, oh yeah, I've heard that one. He was like, but what make what shocks me about that is she's young, Terrence. So for her to use that term and her being so young he's like because that's really what i've heard older people use that term so i called my mom i'm like have you heard that one my mom's like yeah i've heard that one so for you to say that you've heard it too is yeah
0: i mean so this this is a perfect segue to to my question my first real question what is your definition of being black in america like and you can use the gamut of your life or if you have you know one or two words i mean but feel free to expound on that what is being black in america in your eyes Mm -hmm.
1: Well, for me, being Black in America is privilege. And it's not privilege in the traditional sense, but it's a privilege in knowing if you're a racialized person, as I say, um, you understand that. There is no American history without African-American history or Black American history, how, however you want to say it. And I wouldn't use the word privilege. I would use the word as excellent. Um, for lack of a better word, if I'm limited to one word, I would say excellent because we built this country.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We, we've we literally created a culture of Pop culture is ours. We created it. We've taken everything. And I mean, when you look at how oppressed we were and, you know, what our ancestors did not have and what they made, they built a country. Like you just said, um, they took care of families. They were the original farmers. They came... I mean, think about Harriet Tubman with the Underground Railroad. You know, we have people now that can't even read their GPS map. We have people that literally go anywhere without GPS. But Harriet Tubman was able to do that without cars, without GPS.
0: Maybe instinct. Instinct. She had it. Instinct.
1: So... I say that it's excellence because we have nothing but history that tells us nothing different.
0: Right. Now things have
1: changed, and we've been, you know, people, you know, as our their current president right now, they want us to believe that we're nothing. They want us to believe that, and you know, they don't know any better, but they don't care to know any better, you know. We're not in the history books. We learn more about dinosaurs than we do African-American history and our contributions, if you get it during Black History Month. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's unlooked excellence. Um, It's one of the biggest sins um, because people, but it's not a sin to us. It's a sin to other people. And I really, truly believe that because we're so excellent, that's where the hatred comes from. Because we're always told no, and we turn that no into a yes. And not only do we turn it into a yes, we turn into a hell yeah. Then, you know, that I causes just, problems.
0: I feel like I just want to know who was sitting there and like, okay, where can we go get some people that are... Because in my mind, it wasn't looking for the lowest... You were looking for the best to go take to this unknown place, in your mind, unknown place, <laughs> to go and build this place. And to me, all I can think of is where are they using technology? And if you go back into ancient times, technology was only present in Africa and it was present in China. And that's why the Chinese and the African nations have such a tight you know, business uh, rapport because they were the only people innovating at the time Egyptians were building these, you know, these pyramids that were just like, my God, what is that? And it's large and it's, how are they getting those, you know, bricks up there for lack of a better, you know, term. But the big thing here was the overarching spirit was they are the best at what they do. Let's go pick them up. That's just how I look at slavery regarding the transatlantic slave trade. And so to take a people so excellent from their space, beat their language out of them, okay, beat white supremacy in them re- in or via, you know, religion, let's change their religion, let's erase their religion and call it witchcraft, okay, because that's what happened, and then, you know, and y'all pardon me for being a little too woke because that's just what it's going to be for this two minutes, but, you know, let's beat their you know, religion and their their honor and their superiority out of them, literally beat them to nothing, let's quote unquote make them look weak in front of their women by having homosexual sex with their men let's do everything we can do to but, make them look weak but stop
1: and mm-hmm. you want to know what I always attributed to? to um, we can say what we want to about Christianity um, you know white Christianity whatever we want to say however we want to do it um, I'm, I'm all for those discussions and those conversations but this goes back to what I just said. We took the worst and made the best out of nothing because I truly believe that our ancestors were so smart um, that that Christianity that was never necessarily designed for them, that was beat into them. Because you know, we had our own customs, our own beliefs, and everything they did. They took that. And they use that as strength to get them through everything.
0: Absolutely. No, I was just and about to that, say we used it. Yeah, we we turned it all and, around for
1: us. And that is what, um, you know, regardless of, you know, as church becomes non-traditional and, you know, we're all on a different path. They took that. And I'm going to tell you why they took that. They took that because they were smart enough or they had the anointing to know that it's got to be better than this
0: yeah we have to make it better than this we were going to create it you know when you decide that you're going to do something and that was what I was going to say white people were so outdone by the supremacy of blackness that they created white supremacy but the thing is you created something so that you could sit on top of it you had to beat it out of somebody and get it out of their mind and those people have died and gone on so the more you weakened you know, the superiority complex of the black man, because that's really what they did. All they did was go in and weaken that that center point of excellence in their mind. They weakened it and they did for a while, but then we took mm-hmm. that, that weak spot. And like you said, we took our religion and we applied it to the energy of survival. We're going to sing hymnals on these cotton fields. We are going to sing hymnals while we feed these white children with our black breasts. We are going to sing hymnals and then maybe learn how to read by using the Bible. There were just so many points of, of trial and error, but trial to to, to me triumph because now you have the most educated group of people. Black women are the most educated and we, we sit in the space of the most empowered entrepreneurship power embodied by far. And this is where, you know, I love your story about being a historically Black college, university graduate, you know, Prairie View, University, all 'all. y'all. We we (laughs) love to see it because we always have had what we needed. That's the thing that white people can't stand about us. We have always had what we needed inside our, our nucleus. And so when you integrate that, which is what happened, we were begging to be equal in the world instead of realizing that, you know what? it's okay to be over here in our little corner. And guess what? They knew that too. It was okay for us to be over here in our little corner, but if they get too much strength, they'll rise up and they owe us an ass whooping. That's how I like that. We owe them that, but they said, oh, let's let them in. Let's let them ride the bus. Let's let them go to school with us. Let's let them, you know, get a little money at the bank because if we do, then they can't continue to build that power. And so now we're dealing with, I think a return to tribal um, energy, which is where we, we talk about black economics. We talk about, you know, um, black power and black power and white power are different things. Um, white power is, is rooted in hatred. Black power is rooted in equity. And there is an energy around our survival. I think this presidency unfortunately was necessary for us to see what we needed to get back to. Um, in order to, to rise in a higher space as a collective, as a group. We've lost our tribal ways. We've lost our unity in a lot of spaces. In a lot of ways, going to an HBCU, you know, reminds us of what that power looks like. You know, a lot of ways, our Black-owned businesses remind us of what that looks like. So now it's just time to forge all of that supremacy and putting it into a space and reminding everyone that everything comes from this excellence. If you date back the oldest woman in the the world, we all come from a woman in Africa. I don't care what color you are. And now they don't want to talk about that part, so, you know, whatever. But the big picture here is, you know, when we go to do that archaeological, that dig, you know, for what is really important and what rises to the top, it really is just excellence. We have always proven, no matter what century and time, no matter what opposition, no matter where we stand... Even in these last four years, as detrimental as they have felt, we are better for it. We, because we have now seen white people expose themselves on a level that we have never seen. Uh, you know, in recent news, y'all, you know, all of these black uh, evangelicals are now denouncing these white evangelicals. You know, there's just a lot of energy around calling things out. And we've got to continue to do that. Because if we don't, we know we will continue but- to get lost in that ebb and flow.
1: But it surrounds itself with, um, I think I first heard Toni Morrison say, you know, racism is nothing more than a profound psychosis Mm -hmm. that nobody wants to study for what it is. Like, it is a complete mental disorder. Yes, And that's a conversation that people are not ready for because how do you, I guess, with me, And I believe that you and anyone else that knows me well enough to know knows that as blunt as I am, um, as tell it like it is as I can. I I take pride in people knowing that Terrence is going to be a human first. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Like I was on the phone with one of my friends the other day and I've noticed that there's a squirrel in the back in my backyard. And I'm like, what can I get? Because there's a pecan tree. So you know, pecans have fell off the tree. So I know that he was out there eating the pecans. So I'm like, okay, it's about to be cold. The pecans are gone. So what can I get out there and throw? I'm just a human first. Um, you know, I'm I'm that person that I don't expect for people. But I'm a boy from the country who love nature. And so if there's a if. There's a spider crawling some. I'll put it outside because I just that that's the human nature in me um when you talk about racism, it's very inhumane um I'm actually glad that we don't talk about slavery as much without I believe that I believe that slavery should be a part of a curriculum in school, but I believe that. There needs to be, if you're going to do slavery justice, there also needs to be a counseling component with that. Because when you read true books about slavery, it's not even about, you can just Google some shit. And when you're reading that, just how awful it was, just how the brutality of it um, and just the inhumane treatment of people and our ancestors. And going back to that mentor that I always reference, she always says, Terrence, we're products of the ones that made it. Not to say anything bad about the ones that didn't make it. She's like, but we are products of the ones that made it.
0: That's right. That's right. Or at least we're young enough to procreate, you know, before leaving Mm -hmm. the earth. Absolutely. And to your point, Terrence, I think the big picture here is when people ask me what's your definition of success and you know i get asked that same question i don't know how many times in every interview that i do and my same answer is and sometimes it's just that it's not about millions of dollars or getting accolades for this and that i have survived and that alone is the telltale story to me of black history you know our people like you said or i'm sorry your mentor said and you you proclaim i i feel so blessed that I have that I'm here because someone chose the bigger picture. You know what I mean? Cause see, guess what? Uh, you know, I told you we went to the African-American museum and I did the little lunch counter, you know, experiment. And the people Mm -hmm. told me I would be dead or in jail because, um, you know, I'm a little bit radical. (laughs) So, but at the same time, I I say that in, in jovial just because we are, we were having this conversation not too long ago about, you know, everyone is not a protester. Okay. Everyone is not using <laughs> their body for a sacrifice. You know, everyone's not doing that. So we all play a role in that big picture. And thank God for those ancestors that did jump off the ship. And thank God for those ancestors that did, you know, charge the battlefield with, with swords and arrows and whatever they had. Thank God for those that did do the revolutionizing as fit, you know, per generation but thank god for those that sat back that hid in their closets that got underneath the, the bed and did what they could do to preserve life that's the only reason that we're here you know and by far the only reason we only make up 14% of this this um this population you know in this country has everything to do with so many that did not survive we should by far have way more people present identifying as black in this country and you know we could have an afro latino conversation but the people are going be ready for those um, conversations. So there, to me, there are more people that, of course, identify. I'm sorry, they don't identify as black because they've decided not to racialize themselves. And it's, but there are far more people that have, of course, we know black. But as a, there's not one Chinese person by history that can go and do a DNA test without finding out that they are percent black. It, it does not exist. And so with that being said, we have a lot of work to do around colorism. Oh, we have a lot of work to do around um, our relations within our own community, going back to Mammy and the darkies and all these other things, you know, light skin versus dark skin. And and what, And I remember growing up, my family is from Louisiana on both sides. And, and, you know, a lot of people say, oh, you're from Louisiana, you light skin, all this stupid stuff. Chill. uh I didn't grow up in that. Okay, my mom <laughs> and dad just... <laughs> does not it just doesn't exist in my family and the reason it doesn't my great-grandmother was a dark-skinned woman okay my great-grandmother was a light-skinned woman i have so many beautiful colors in my family alone in my direct lineage and i'm just like y'all do realize that colorism only comes from rape it's it's not anything else people from africa in most traditional sense i'd say 80 of africa is dark-skinned so this is not a Uh, you know, an anomaly of like, oh, you know, some of us are like, No, baby, that's rape, you know? And unfortunately, a lot of that does not get talked about, that so many women, you know, white men, you know, dominated and and they say, oh, we're going to use these women for breeding. You know, we don't talk about, like you said, the humanity of, of slavery, the lack thereof, the inhumane treatment of men and women on all levels. You know, you're making a woman have sex with her son, like the term motherfucker, I I don't usually address it with Black people because we we use it so freely. But that is a term referencing a mother having sex with, our son, I'm sorry, having sex with his mother to procreate more slaves. Because for white people, they will do anything for money. And the only two things they understand is money and savagery. They don't understand anything else. Hence why we always say, hit them in the pockets. And, you know, we got to go out in these streets and fuck people up, like... Those are the two conversations that Black people want to have because that's all they understand. It's all that we feel they understand, let me be clear. And so until we start having the bigger conversations about race, like you said, it is the original cardinal sin of this country, unfortunately. We, we just can't get anywhere. And what I was going to say about the, the slavery piece that you mentioned, I think that slavery actually needs to be taught from the white perspective. The problem is, when I say white perspective, they are teaching it from the white perspective of disconnecting the ownership of that they did it. I want them to teach it from white people. We were wrong. We were inhumane for doing this. Not my daughter's first interaction with, oh, um, African slaves came here to pick cotton. No, 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 no. We didn't come anywhere. Okay, stop telling these these false. And words and language have power. Let me say that as well. Stop telling these fallacies about what happened. Just tell it what. Just tell it what it was. Mm-hmm. Tell us what it was, and let us decide that we want to be okay. Hating white people for what they did in that moment, it is okay. You have every right to be angry about what that big picture is. The big picture is why people were hateful and they felt they needed to create supremacy. Period. That's where slavery comes from. So, left. So last month, actually, um, I
1: did a two day training and um, I didn't know necessarily what to expect from the training. But um, it it had something to do with the project that I'm currently working on that I'm cons- a consultant on. So I'm the type of person I'm going to soak up any type of knowledge I can get like a sponge. So um, this was called it was. It was basically a call to black men and it, you know, it discussed basically how we treat black women or, you know, how men treat black women or how black women is are perceived, excuse me. And when I logged on, it was kind of funny because, you know, on this project that I'm working on, it was like four or five people that I'm familiar with from just working with them um, on this project. But then it was all of these white people and it was all of these people from islands and things like that who just have a totally different perception of what it's like to be Black in America. And so on the last, on the final day, you know, we were talking about all of these issues and people were kind of just skipping around and tippy-toeing around and well, the previous day, because you know, we would have these main sessions and we're going to breakout sessions. And when I got into my first breakout session, it was just awful. And I remember I text my mentor and I'm like, this breakout session, my group is horrible. And she was like, make it better. Mm. why well, she tell you that
0: Lord have mercy?
1: <laughs> <laughs> so um The next day in the general session, you know, we were talking about history and all of this stuff. You know, they were talking about the Holocaust and we were quick to talk about the Holocaust and we're quick to talk about, you know, genocide. And so I mentioned a comment and I said, you know, we don't talk about the transatlantic slave trade and we don't talk about the Middle Passage. And I think that that's extremely critical to this discussion that we're having. Like, if we're going to talk about it, and if we're going to talk about the issues, you know, with... that men have and things, let's start talking about where this shit comes (laughs) from. It's true. It's true. And so much to the point that, you know, okay, so then we go into a breakout session, and then when we come back on, one of the facilitators was like, okay, he started reading things, and he had to explain to people what the Middle Passage was, This, that, and the other. And I think I may have been colorful and said something like, you know, if you listen to white people talk about slavery and how how people ended up here. My favorite comedian, and I just love Lunell in the world. Lunell, if Lunell is giving an interview and someone refers to them as slaves or slaves being brought here, she was like, they were not slaves when they were Mm -hmm. picked up. She said they were kings and they were queens and they were, you know, they were leaders. They... Had businesses, they had, you know, they were not. she like, stop doing that. So I'm trying to get to that point, but I say all of that to say, we come back into this general session. So he asked me, he's like, okay, well, will you talk about this? Or will you explain a little bit more of where you're coming from? And I was like, oh okay, he didn't hand me the mic. So let me just give them a little bit of education. So it was hilarious because I was sitting there and I'm just talking from my heart and based on my feelings and my actions. And I'm looking at my mentor and her husband, they happen to be on the call and they just, they're giving that, I call it that older black. Okay. Like this is going to be one that we might be able to pass that torch to because they're very racialized, unapologetic people, Christian educated people. But at the same time, like they'll go there really quick. Like, I've seen them both. They're not the one to be that person that I'm going to shake this table in this room full of white people. And we don't do that. Mm-hmm. You know, I told them basically I said, you know, if we listen to y'all, y'all be thinking that it was a carnival cruise ship that pulled up over there and say, Hey, come on, we're going to America. <laughs> and that is not, it's the not. if you go back if you go back and you look at it, like if you look at how slavery is presented in textbooks. You'd be like, no, 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 no. no no. It just doesn't work like that. And unfortunately, not enough of us are really taught to be racialized at home the way that we should be. You're taught how to be Black and how to survive. But most people don't go and have those conversations with their parents about slavery and about this and about that. I grew up in one of the most educated It constantly ranks in the top 10, if not 20, most educated places because we are home to the largest public institution of higher education in the United States. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the biggest in the world, Texas A&M. And, you know, it's Texas. You're from here. I'm from here. Texas A&M has weight um, just because of the amount of money that they use, you know, the research that they do for a public institution so but they don't teach about slavery like i it was before i was born but my brother always tells a story that you know his the first discussion they had in elementary school about it about slavery he thought you know they had mistaken slavery for the mayflower where people willingly came over here or whatever reason you know the mayflower they came over here and stole shit so it's the same thing (laughs) It's just a real- the
0: white people just they don't want to so, be accountable for shit. This, this is the They don't want to be
1: accountable for shit. Just like you know, just like okay in the last week when you talk about rioting and looting and all of that. I mean, I want to ask what the fuck was the Boston Tea Party?
0: Correct. Well here's the thing. You, you know, know what you it are, is. It's revolutionary. You don't want to talk about it. Yeah, though.
1: it's yeah, it's revolutionary. Y'all been burning up shit. <laughs> I mean, the bridges came over here and burnt the damn white house up. I mean, why is it all of a sudden you polarize it and then the hate turns inward? Because then you have these other black people that are like, "Oh well, yeah, that is wrong," and this, that, another. It is wrong to t- tear up your own community, but I don't feel sorry about targeting as, as, Target, as much as i spend
0: spending Target. And see, as much as but you know what I'm about to say. You know what I'm about to say. We wouldn't be doing all of this. We would not if you would give us our money. See, this is the problem. When
1: so you equate so in Black America, and I've had to really grapple with this uh, because we equate success to yep. things.
0: Yeah, because we don't have things. Um, when you you don't give people we, their things, then they're gonna go steal them. They're gonna go loot them. They're gonna go and create them, create the space for them. So again, to me, it always goes back to reparations because every other group has been given. The, I was just on a thing last night about Eva Longoria and her sideways ass comments about Latinas are the real heroines of this election. Girl, ain't anybody, we'll talk about that later. But the point is, she said that the, the Afro-Latina woman that was actually in the conversation was talking about Black people are the only people in this country that have never received the writing of the wrong. You can give us legislation. You can give us affirmative action in that legislation, you can you know reverse this and reverse that and decriminalize this and decriminalize that. Where in the fuck is the money? And I say that because until we get the money, you're gonna keep seeing drugs mishandled. You're gonna keep seeing looting or stealing. And guess what? It ain't us we're not I'm not even talking about protesting. White people are the ones that are looting. They lo- they feel entitled They feel um, emblazoned and emboldened by anyone saying whatever. Oh, I can go break the window at Target. It's them. It's not that we get blamed for it because it's to our benefit. When it's Black Lives Matter, you don't think that white lives are out there marching or being a participant in that. So you assume that black lives are the ones busting windows and taking Gucci. It's y'all. It's not us. Unless it is an 80% black city, you know, which doesn't really exist here. You might have somewhere like Atlanta, which is a largely fifty to sixty percent, you know, city. But other than that, honey, everything is pretty we, we're pretty low on the totem pole. So the big picture here is when is America going to write it with the money? And I'm tired of the black people that are saying, well nah, we don't need no money because you know Pookie and Ray Ray, you know, they're not gonna do money. And they're not gonna, well who why do we care? I don't care. The reason I don't care about what Pookie, Ray Ray, Keisha, Nisha, whatever do with their money is because at the end of the day, they are entitled to spend, do, live whatever way they want to, because guess what? Right now, me and Tan's on this call, and, and guess what? We don't care what Pookie and Ray are doing right now. I don't. And at the end of the day, although I want you to be well, and I want you to do right and do all the right things that you can set your family up for generations of financial wellness. If you don't, I'm okay with it because we gave you the opportunity. The reality is we have not given, you can't just send black kids to school. And then when they get that first job with a hundred thousand dollars, they go and blow it all on whatever, because they don't even know, they don't even understand, you know, credit. They don't even understand all these things trickle down to when you don't have access to opportunity, you create madness. And that's unfortunate what we've done. This is where perpetuity of, you know, the quote unquote ghetto. Oh, I'm just going to get me a car and lay up and and smoke weed and, have sex all day and, and have babies and all these things that they think that's all we do. No, actually, when we get money, we start schools. Actually, when we get money, we start programming to educate our children. Actually, when we get money, we go and build housing projects to put homeless people in. Actually, when we get money, you know, there are programming. Of, there's a programming that there's an assumption that we don't do the right thing with money. I mean, And yeah. it's just not true. Yeah, there's an assumption.
1: Yeah, there's an assumption. There have always been black of self-help course. groups. You know, as villainized as the Black Panthers were, they started programs of free like the biggest program that they that you should give them credit for is the feeding them feeding yes. families. Yes. Like they fed families. So therefore, and you know. But if you look at it, they're just this radicalized group. Well,
0: all that you see the people? Black Panthers doing is t- holding a gun with a Black beret on and in meetings. That's all you ever see. It's not what you just said. It's not supporting and undergirding and becoming the community. The reality is the accountability that we don't want to give and, and say, OK, Martin Luther King wasn't just in the streets marching. He was organizing. There are things that, that there are radical ends of this struggle and there are less radical ends of this struggle, but it's the radical people that made the difference on the longer scale because they saw what needed to be done. And it, it's just too much. It's just too much praying and kneeling for me. Okay. I'm over it. I'm, I'm tired. I'm, I'm ready for the real revolution whenever the people are ready, because there is too much to be done in a short time. If we want to see anything else beyond a black president and a black vice president, We have got to do more. It can't just be the people at the top. And I guess that's still the common conversation. Kamala Harris and Barack Obama sit at the top. You know, they they started, they may have started at the bottom, but honey, they went to the top. And now what about the people at the bottom? You know, what about the people in the middle? What about the people that, you know, have a nice home, but you know, they want another home. Why is it that Black people can't have five or six homes? You know why is it that black people don't have you know multiple 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 you know funding uh, hedge funds and all these things? It's a lack of resources and access. the Black Panthers to martin luther King to Malcolm X, whoever the extremes of these is everything in the middle, and guess what all those people get killed for for speaking up they do. See, Terrence and Tiffany in 1969, we we would be killed for, for having this conversation. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, yeah. and people not ready to talk yeah. about that. And so I'm willing, that's the thing. I'm I'm not, you know, I'm willing to be blackballed. You know, I'm willing to, st- even me doing this show, right? Everyone that listens to this show knows what I do for a living. I work in the very upper echelon of the black community or of any community for that matter. And I put a lot on the line by having these conversations, but I don't care. And that's the part. That is the protest. I ain't got to be on the street with no sign. This is the protest. You have to use your voice and not just talk. When I get out for this call, I'm going to go over to my nonprofit and do some work. Because that's how they go. And because, look, guess what? Black Panthers are feeding people in the 70s and they I, I feed people, too. Out of humanity, that's what we do. We feed families. So <laughs> it is about who is doing the work. And we cannot just sit up here with our degrees and sit up here with our homes and our gated communities and be like, nigga, we made it we have that's great but what else what else are we going to do you know and what else are now that we have this potentially amazing equation right we're going to have a democratic president you know vice president we're going to have a democratic house and potentially a democratic senate where in the hell do y'all think we can't go with that equation we can do whatever we want in that equation it's about demanding accountability it don't matter who sit up there when y'all go to them streets and you tell people what you need and what you want, they're gonna have to listen if they wanna continue to be there. Or the streets are gonna burn, like you said. I don't agree with burning Target, but guess what? Target in the way, burn it down. We built that shit. We built everything so that Target can have the the hundreds and thousands of stores that they have across the country. So why not? I ain't telling y'all go out and burn nothing and listen to me. You know, that's what that is. But, this time of, um, but yeah, I mean, I think this is a great foundation to this entire series because we cannot get to mental wellness until we talk about the history of Blackness and what it means. You cannot have Blackness without whiteness. We know whiteness was created and it is a systemic, traumatic experience being a Black person because there's so many firewalls that we have to fight beyond our skin. And I think this this conversation is just so important. I know it's a little heavy, guys. I know we're still celebrating and we're still happy. Um, But I just, I want us to start laying the ground for the next level. It can't just be enough to celebrate that we are breaking barriers. May we continue to break barriers, but let's get to the work. And the work starts with acknowledging the history and I work on ourselves. Black people have spent so much time working for and on others. And it's now our time to do our healing as well. Our own internal work, turn that work inward. Instead of giving all your time and space to social media, which is outside of yourself, let's start turning all of that work into, into work that works for us. And so on this series, you're going to hear me speaking to other Black men about their uh, their participation, maybe their lack of participation in many processes. Um, I'm looking forward to delving into the way your mind You know, think so. Black men, uh, if you're listening, thank you for being a part. If you're you're a woman and you know a black man that needs to delve into himself, this is the next couple of these uh, episodes are going to be focused heavily on development um, of the black male mind and where they sit, how they feel, how they emote. It is very important to me as a black woman to understand that on a level that um, that is deeper. So, Terrence, tell the people about where they can find you about your websites and all of where they can get into uh, the Terrence Omar brand over
1: there. The Terrence Omar brand. uh, And it's ironic you say that because um, working so much for other people. um, I've been abundantly blessed to... um, This month, I can actually say, I've always had business. I I was hustle man, probably from middle school, through college. Um, I I did all kinds of things. I told um I was telling Tiffany last week about like my very first entrepreneur entrepreneurial um Endeavor, and she just laughed, but now I know that that's gonna be funny. That's something that I think that's gonna be very interesting for my memoirs, You're Tiffany. So hold that Um, but basically, um the Uppity brand, um, the Uppity Brand dot com uppity U-P-P-I-T-Y brand.com um that's me on social facebook um instagram ig um and we talk about history we do things it's not it's more than just apparel um it's more than just a shirt because what i've dove into you know my brand has been out um i went hard starting in during the pandemic right around the time the pandemic started and I had just been testing the shirts out for about two years now, but um, now that it is my brand. Um, our most popular shirt is uppity negro, and what I'm realizing now is I'm going to have to create videos and more branding around what the brand actually means and how to have these conversations with people. Because you know, it's just so much A going instruction on. Uh, instructional mm-hmm. videos. <laughs> yeah,
0: instructional. <laughs> <laughs> Some brands come with instructions. But, uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs>
1: Right. So, uh, because those are conversations I'm going to have to have, but you know, um, my personal, I can be reached at at Terrence, T-R-A-N-C-E, Omar, um, on all social media platforms as well. Um, keep in mind, I work for myself. So my views are my views and they're just that we're entitled to them. Um, I'm, if I'm in a good mood, I'll engage with you. If not, then I won't. Uh, That's just how I am. It's not, if I don't know you, then I really don't. I might care about your opinion, but I probably don't once I formulize mine because my thoughts and theories are based on my own experiences and facts. And, you know, with things like COVID, um, a nice little thing called science, and I deal in, you know, I deal with science's sibling, which is math, because I like my money, too. So, you know, all of those things.
0: Yes, Chance is very unapologetic on, on his, particularly his Facebook and Twitter. Um, he and I both, I think that's our our playground. It's where we are most uh, ventful. We like to vent. We like to communicate. And guess what? I'm not really looking for a lot of engagement because I'm from the school that you ain't have to come you did read it though. So thank you for coming. Um, and, you know, so I, I I, relish in the fact that you are so direct and you are so, um, you're a think piece person. You know, you give people things to ponder, things to reconsider. Uh, I think the, the perpetuity of a successful person as well is unlearning and relearning. Um, if you're a person that's truly a student of life and you will appreciate someone like Terrence. <laughs> you'll appreciate his his posts. They are, they're thought provoking. Um, and, you know, and being provocative is not popular. I would tell people that all the time. It is not cute, um, but people, <clears throat> people will reconsider what they think they know. So I am so appreciative of you coming on today. Um, this show is just so important to me to keep these conversations at the forefront um And not at the back front because they're uncomfortable, okay? Uh, they ain't uncomfortable for us. They ain't uncomfortable for those that are not ready. And I'm not really talking about white people. I mean, they're always going to be uncomfortable when we're speaking about us. But Black people that are entering into a space of knowledge, even more knowledge, even more power and awakening, if you will. Um, we appreciate you guys listening um, from that perspective today. So uh, I'm Tiffany Janelle. I am your host. I am Chef to the Stars on Instagram. Twitter, um, not on Facebook. Our Facebook, you, you'll you have to know how to get up in there. But Show to the Stars of the number two. You can also follow Kitchen Counter Chat on Instagram. You can email me questions, comments, concerns, kitchencounterchat at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening tonight. Y'all have a wonderful evening and come back for more. The